to rock and rock and rock some more. This is part two of our look at Jill Bolte-Taylor's experience living in the world of the right hemisphere. We're exploring the hemisphere hypothesis, which states that the two hemispheres of our brain present us with very different perspectives on what is going on in our world. We're working on the idea that our mind gets muddled when one hemisphere or the other comes to dominate. We need both hemispheres operating in collaboration with each other, and there's good evidence to suggest that the right hemisphere is the one that should be in charge, not the left. In the previous episode, we introduced the story of Jill Bolte-Taylor to explore what it's like to live almost exclusively in one's right hemisphere. If you haven't listened to that episode, it would be a good idea to circle back before continuing with this one. Bolte-Taylor suffered a massive stroke in her left hemisphere which made her mind almost entirely reliant on her right hemisphere. As a trained neuroanatomist, Bolte Taylor is uniquely qualified to observe and interpret her mental journey through radical shifts in hemisphere dominance. In her childhood, she recognized that her right hemisphere was stronger than her left, and she was more comfortable operating in right hemisphere modes. But she also recognized the need to leverage the strengths of both hemispheres to successfully navigate her world. She recognized that the two hemispheres of her brain performed different functions and that their collaboration was needed to grasp a realistic picture of her reality. As she put it, quote, Because of cortical laterality, each half of my brain specialized in slightly varied functions— And when put together, my brain could precisely manufacture a realistic perception of the external world. So even before her stroke, she appreciated the need for a balanced collaboration of the two hemispheres. This is what all normal brains are supposed to do make use of the unique strengths of each hemisphere working in collaboration with each other. But things get a little wacky when, for one reason or another, one hemisphere becomes dominant. In most such imbalances, the left hemisphere dominates and suppresses the right. Why is this problematic? Well, the the right hemisphere has a direct and holistic experience of life. The left hemisphere, on the other hand, takes bits and pieces of that experience and tries to categorize them and to discover general principles about them. It takes these generalities and creates a kind of virtual reality representation of the world. Now, this mapping of the world can be quite useful at times, but it doesn't serve us well when we mistake the map for the actual geography of life. We do best when we live in the real world, not in the left hemisphere's make-believe world. Our mind gets muddled when the left hemisphere, which has the benefit of language, talks us into believing its version of things without giving the right hemisphere a chance to pull us back towards reality. We'll continue to explore how modern life has come to be dominated by left hemisphere modes of thought and what we can do about it. Now, in Bolte-Taylor's case, of course, the reverse happened. 
When she suffered a massive stroke to her left hemisphere, she was robbed of the left hemisphere's contribution and was thrust into a worldview dominated by the right hemisphere. We are examining Bolte-Taylor's case to learn more about right hemisphere ways of perceiving, and also again to make the point that we need to make use of the talents of both hemispheres. Bolte-Taylor found dominance of her right hemisphere to be seductively blissful. She felt a sense of transcendent connection, which brought her a great inner peace. But she also couldn't do much of anything, and there was still a part of her mind that knew she had to recover the function of her left hemisphere to become a whole person once again. She resolved to restore the function of her left hemisphere and spent eight arduous years in this process of recovery. I find her description of the initial stages of her recovery incredibly moving and inspirational. She had to regain some strength in order to survive the initial surgeries that awaited her. She describes herself as being largely paralyzed, immobilized in bed, realizing that she had to start moving but with no understanding at all of how to make that happen. She realized that she had to do whatever it was she could do, no matter how small and inconsequential that action seemed. She says, I learned that every effort I put forth was the only effort that was important. On day one, for example, I had to rock and rock and rock some more before I had enough oomph to roll upward. While in this stage of rocking, I had to recognize that rocking was the only activity that mattered. End quote. She couldn't focus on the final goal of sitting up because, well, that seemed such a distant and unattainable goal. Had she set her daily goal on the dramatic achievement of actually sitting up, she would have experienced daily failure and frustration. She just wasn't there yet. So her goal was simply to rock and rock and rock some more. This is great advice, I think, for all of us. We may well want to save the world, to work for world peace, to end global hunger, to put an end to war, but all we can do in the moment, all we can do right now, is rock a little bit in the right direction. Yet rock we must. If we rock and rock and rock in the direction of love and kindness and compassion, we are succeeding. Bolte Taylor's recovery puts me in mind of the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's description of the monomyth found in every culture on earth. Stripped down to its essence, these myths speak of a hero who is compelled to leave his or her normal state of affairs and venture into an unknown wilderness. As the hero confronts the demons and dragons of this wilderness, she suffers a kind of death some essential aspect of her old self dies. But within this death are the seeds of rebirth. The hero is transformed. And once that transformation has taken place, the hero must decide whether or not to rejoin her old world and integrate her new self into her old environment or to strike out into new worlds. When Bolte Taylor nearly lost her life with the stroke, she also experienced a kind of death when she lost use of her left hemisphere. 
She was exiled to the wilderness of the right hemisphere and lost all sense of her previous self. Stripped bare of previous labels, she discovered a deeper and more profound meaning to her place in life, and perhaps a truer sense of who she was. Once reborn in this way, she knew that she wanted or needed to reintegrate with her previous life and therefore had to recover enough of her previous identity to function in that environment. She had to recover use of her left hemisphere. Ironically, before her stroke, Bolte Taylor was engaged in a personal quest to raise awareness about mental illness. In 1968, her brother, who she describes as, quote, the closest thing to me that exists in the universe, end quote, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Taylor's passion to understand why her brother's brain worked so differently from hers inspired her to study the brain and become a neuroanatomist. She explains, quote, I wanted to understand why I could take my dreams and connect them to reality and make my dreams come true. What was different about my brother's brain such that he could not connect his dreams to a common reality, and they instead became delusions? I was eager to pursue research in schizophrenia. End quote. The symptoms of schizophrenia are remarkably similar to the symptoms of people who suffer severe damage to their right hemisphere. In other words, schizophrenia and right hemisphere damage are conditions in which people are living almost entirely within their left hemisphere, the exact opposite of what Boldy Taylor experienced. As we've noted, the left hemisphere world is a virtual reality, one or two steps removed from direct sensory experience of the world. It's made up of fragmented bits and pieces that have little relationship to each other. There's no cohesion to this cascade of individual things, individual facts, figures, rules, regulations, and symbolic representations of a world largely divorced from direct experience. These fragments only make sense when shared with the right hemisphere, where they can be put into the context of the whole of the gestalt. The schizophrenic mind seems to have slipped its moorings with the right hemisphere's sense of holistic, experienced reality and drifted off into a fabricated and fragmented world invented by the left hemisphere. We will explore the world of the left hemisphere and its relationship to schizophrenia in coming podcasts. So what lessons can we learn from Bolte Taylor's experience? Clearly, a major lesson is that we need both hemispheres to function normally. Second, we've recognized that when the right hemisphere dominates, our mind experiences a state of consciousness that is remarkably similar to the states described by religious mystics and people tripping on psychedelics. When fully immersed in right hemisphere consciousness, people experience a sense of profound connectedness with something greater than themselves, and this brings with it a sense of inner peace. Where these episodes of transcendence seem to transform people's minds, they're happier, more at peace with their lives, less fearful of death. These episodes of transcendence seem beneficial in and of themselves. I mean, who doesn't want to find deep inner peace? But further, 
Excursions into right hemisphere dominance, what Aldous Huxley characterizes as journeys to the antipodes of the mind, may help us to counteract the left hemisphere dominance that plagues modern culture. In other words, when our minds are muddled by left hemisphere dominance, we may be able to restore balance by engaging in activities that, for brief periods of time, transport us deep into the world of the right hemisphere. I hope you will join me in this journey of discovery. Thanks so much for listening. Check out our website at www.mindramp.org. There you can learn more about MindRamp, you can find previous podcasts on brain health, and you can also sign up for our newsletter called Roadmaps for a Successful Longevity. Until next time, then, live long and live well.